Good strategy would be probably be to diversify onto Main Street. I really like real estate. Think real estate's a fantastic inflation hedge. It's proven that year after year after year, and it produces income. So for the real estate investor looking to acquire now, I would say maybe be a bit more conservative on location. You don't want the busy road. You don't want the the property next to some negative influence, road or track, whatever that might be. You want good locations. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Boat, and today our guest is Kevin Amolsch from Pine Financial Group. Kevin is a hard money lender, and today we're digging into a few things. Kevin's been on the show before to teach us about his business. Now we're digging into his perspective on the market overall, what's happening as we enter slash go through this recession, as rates rise with all the inflation going on. There's been a lot of talk about what is going to happen to real estate and what is happening to real estate. And today we're talking with Kevin about his perspective on the changes in real estate, what's coming down the road. Is it gonna be as bad as last time? What previous recession is maybe the most analogous to what is happening today? And then we also discuss hard money in general. Who needs hard money loans? What the hard money loans do for investors? Conversations to have with hard money lenders. If you're looking at getting into flipping or burr investing in particular, how to prepare yourself for those conversations, how to find hard money lenders. A lot of great stuff in this one, especially if you are a flipper or a burr investor who wants to do more in real estate, but use less of your own money use other people's money to do deals and you can get so much more done. Great conversation. You're going to learn a ton. Very happy to have Kevin back on the show. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor and I focus on commercial multifamily and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call and we'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, our guest is Kevin A. Mulch. Without any further ado... Here we go. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business and somehow missed our previous conversation on the show, do you mind telling us a bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, Taylor. First, I want to say thank you so much for inviting me back on the show. It's a it's great, great time to, talk to with you. You know, spend some time with you. And you got the new backdrop with some fantastic books up there <laughs> we were just talking about. So thank you for uh, inviting me back on. Uh, my name is Kevin Amos. I'm the founder of Pine Financial Group. Pine Financial is a hard money or non-bank financing company for real estate investors. So we do all value add. So your fix and flips, your uh, infill new construction projects, your commercial, you know, stabilization and refinance or stabilize and sell. Um, all of our money are the most, for the most part, is privately raised. Um, so we have our fifth fund now. Our fifth fund is a public offering and I'm really proud and excited about that. Total capacity is around 100, I'll call it 110 million. And we'll close somewhere around 190 to 200 deals a year. Awesome. So it's all, all private private capital. 
Very cool. Very cool. And you're lending primarily or almost exclusively to flippers? Yeah, we do. On the Resi side, it's it's almost all flippers, uh, other than the Burr strategy, which a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with, where you buy it, uh, rehab it, refinance it, and keep it as a rental. So we do see some of that. But yeah, for the most part, it's new construction and, and uh, fix and flips. Awesome. Great. So today I wanted to dig into your thoughts about how the market has changed through the COVID recession. Now that we're in the time where uh, you know, hopefully we're basically out of the pandemic at this point, but we're in a, still a high inflationary period. Yeah. Interest rates are on the rise. Things are changing. Everybody's talking recession. I think it's a foregone conclusion we are in a recession. But uh, anyway, let's dig into that and, and what you've seen, you know, changes over the last couple of years, and then we'll transition to what you think's coming down the yeah, road. Absolutely. It's interesting that the this question comes up very first thing because I had <laughs> written an article about the recession we're in or going into today and compare that to 2008, the credit crash, which was enormous, right? And the difference is, and I spelled out six reasons on why it's not the same and why we should see a much softer landing. And you know what? I got some hate mail from that. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Yep. Put yourself why? out there and that happens sometimes, right? But it, you know, there's really no comparison to 2008. 2008 was a direct reflection on the housing market and the lending specifically in the housing market. And we're not seeing that now. We're seeing record low approvals with the credit uh, the credit availability index. You're seeing it like super, super low. And it has been since the recession, especially after COVID, it, it popped down again. So it's just solid credit out there. And we didn't see like the inflation and some of these other indicators back then as we do now. So there's just too many differences. So some of this hate mail was, well, why are you comparing it to 2008 when it's not 2008? Now, history doesn't repeat itself. It mm -hmm. rhymes. Is that what Mark Twain says? It won't. <laughs> history does rhyme. So uh, yep. they said, why don't you look at 1990, the savings and loan crisis? Um, so I've been starting to dig into that a lot. I was still in middle school when that hit. So I wasn't really aware of what was going on. But you know, even that's different. The similarities are the government spending, the war and everything going on leading up to that in the 60s. But uh, so the government spending and then the high, high inflation. And I don't know if you re remember or if you were around then, probably not because you know, <laughs> very little. <laughs> were old enough then, but you saw mortgage rates like go through the roof, right? 13, 14% rates because of the uh, the Federal Reserve raising, raising the short-term mortgage rates. So that does feel a little bit more similar to what we're going through right now, but even there's differences between that recession and this one. So it's just totally different what we've seen. It feels different. It is different. It's hard to know what exactly to expect. So yeah, I mean, I think the reason people want to talk about the great recession, especially in housing investors, I mean, we're talking about real estate here. So that was the big one. And it's really the most recent recession that we had to compare to. It was a, a spectacular event that impacted the entire world. There are so many reasons why you would maybe compare and contrast, but I agree it's not the same situation now, but that doesn't mean, you know, some things can't reoccur, but are there any other similarities or differences between today compared to the savings and loan crisis? I mean, that's a pretty interesting uh, comparison. Well, the, 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 really the interesting thing or the comparison between those two that are similar, it really is limited to the inflation mm -hmm. and then the rise in interest rates. It was kind of that what what created the savings and loan crisis was no regulation and lending at all, at least on the savings and loans. 
They were out there making crazy 100% loans. They were participating in equity. That's when adjustable rates started. So all of this creativity um, just to get money out the door. Um, so now you're very similar to 2008, right? You're making these 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 loans. And then when the market starts to correct, it just the snowball and everything just collapses. And so you saw one third of savings and loans fold and get repossessed by the uh, RTC and they were liquidating these properties like crazy, which further hurt the economy. Um, so it's very similar to 2008 and all of the the banks that were consolidating and going under um, at that time. So I, I, I see a lot of similarities between those two. Um, I'm having, other than the inflation and the interest rates, I'm having a hard time even connecting that recession to this one. Well, it's a, it's a very different, you know, scenario. I mean, we had a, a hopefully once in a lifetime event, you know, with with COVID, maybe Bingo. less than once in a lifetime, once in a century type of thing. So would it make sense to try to look back and compare today versus, I don't know, following um, the Spanish fl- the Spanish flu, but that was getting out of World War One. There are a lot of other big macro things happening there as well. Or is it, is it even worth digging into much to try to look for past historical events and, and compare it to today? Is it worth put, burning yeah. too much energy on that? That's so interesting that you say that. I Maybe I'm going to research this one now, but first thing I would look at is what was the government spending? What was the bailout money and how much was going being pumped into the economy by the government? Because that's why we're in the recession right now. It's the crazy spending and the inflation. And now we have to fight it by, by increasing rates. And people are surprised. We have the Fed saying, I'm going to put this into a recession. We're going to raise rates until we're in a recession. They openly admit it. I was in an event yesterday. It, it was crazy. He says, this is the first time in history I think I have a crystal ball. Like, I know we're going into a recession. <laughs> they told me. Well, that's true. They They have said that. I mean, that's the kind of the model, right, is, okay, they believe when it's an inflationary period, the economy's overheated and we need to pump the brakes. It's high inflation right now. We can look back at Paul Volcker in the, you know, in the 70s and what he did with yeah. monetary policy, although we're, we're not quite going there. So, okay, let's forge ahead under the understanding or assumption that we are currently in a recession or we're heading to one. I think technically we're currently in one, but it just hasn't quite maybe been announced right. yet or whatever. But from your perspective, how do how can investors protect themselves during recessions? Because that's that's the whole goal, right? Is we don't want to lose out during the recessions. If anything, we want to buy more, but we don't want to lose what we had previously. So, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I would get out of uh, I would get out of the stock market. Um, that's too it's <laughs> too challenging to predict that or crypto. I mean, I, I think some diversification and maybe some exposure to these things is smart, but Gosh, a lot of people put all of their money in their retirement into the stock market. And we're seeing what happens when you do that. Good strategy would be probably be to diversify onto Main Street. I really like real estate. I think real estate's a fantastic inflation hedge. It's proven that year after year after year. And it produces income. So for the real estate investor looking to acquire now, I would say maybe be a bit more conservative on location. You don't want the busy road. You don't want the the property next to some negative influence, railroad track, whatever that might be. You want good locations and buy for the long term. You want to make sure that your cash flow can sustain you and then you can write out anything. So I would that would be my advice. Don't stop buying. You know, if you put your your money under the mattress like so many people are doing right now, you're losing your money. It's eroding to inflation. Inflation is going crazy. 
So all you're doing is giving some of your money away by by not investing it in something that can keep up. So how are you in your business preparing for that downturn? Because there's, I imagine in the back of your mind, there's always a possibility that, okay, if things turn around, I might have to foreclose or rework a lot of these loans or, you know, you obviously have um, contingencies built into your your plan, but how are you thinking about that as you continue to make loans to flippers and burr investors? Yeah. And we're not, we're not a bank, right? So we don't have the same regulations. We're much more creative and we help our, our clients out, but we loan money. We have to be smart about this. So just like a bank would do and restrict with some restrictions and some tightened guidelines, we're starting to tighten guidelines a little bit. We want to see a little bit more liquidity and reserves. I think it's smart for investors to have a solid reserve account. Uh, we're seeing maybe a little bit lower loan to values if the deal isn't you know, perfect or it's not in a great location. So we're just going to be a bit more conservative on the money we're pushing out the door right now in anticipation for a little softening. Uh, but honestly, I think that the softening is is due. I think investors are going to benefit hugely from that. So as we see inventory increase, we'll see spreads between wholesale and retail uh, increase and, our, and flippers will be able to find more projects. It's been tough, tough for years. So to have more opportunities, I, I think as long as we weather the initial storm, we're, we're going to benefit from this. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely hope so. I also wonder in this rising interest rate environment, you now in the hard money lending business, you're, the money's more expensive than if you say, go get a mortgage, yeah. longer term financing, that kind of a thing. Interest rates are going up. Mortgage rates are getting higher. Is that pushing your rates upward? Are you seeing any impacts there? You know, we are not. Uh, I know some of our competitors are raising their rates mostly because they're funded through institutional investors and they're raising the rates on them. So in order to maintain a spread, they have to increase their rates. We're exploring some different options to decrease our cost of capital, maybe taking on a little bit more leverage than we have in the past, which might seem strange going into a recession, which I just said we were going to do. Uh, but if I <laughs> if I could bring my cost of capital down, we're actually trying to drive our pricing down. So very different than what most of the other lenders are doing. Interesting. So what is the motivation for that on, on your part, trying to go lower rather than just hold where you are? Because as others' rates creep upward, they might just come to, you know, to to meet you or to exceed you, but you want to head downward. That's kind of counterintuitive. Yeah. Yeah, it's just trying to kick everyone's ass, right? I want to, <laughs> I want to, I want to be the best and I want to, I want, um, I want investors to, to benefit from what we're trying to provide. So yeah, if we could bring our prices down, their prices are coming up, then we're just going to capture more of the market. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay. So uh, I'd like to get a little more into just a broader sense of, of how the business works, because these questions kind of come up pretty frequently in the bigger pockets forums and so forth. Yeah. When folks are getting into flipping or burring and they might go out and ask, how do I find a hard money lender? How do I find one of you guys? How do I know that a given hard money lender is the right fit for me? How do I prepare to have conversations with them? So I'd like to get into that investor education, I suppose, if you will, yeah. side of things. So let's dig into it. How do people find Hard money letters. I mean, we got one right here for us, but in yeah. the broader sense, <laughs> what's the best way to find you guys? So the thing about hard money lending is it's very local. Now, I know that there's a lot of national guys out there and they're they're um, lending all over the country. And I know that's kind of the newer thing, um, but I would say if I was an investor, I would really try to pinpoint the local hard money lenders. Look, real estate's local. You want somebody that's going to be on your team that understands what you're going through, understands the market especially going into 
some type of softening, you're going to want someone on your side. I don't think the bigger national hard money lenders are really out for your best interest. So my first piece of advice for a newer newer investor would be look at your local hard money lenders. You could find those at your RIAs. You could find them on Bigger Pockets for sure. They have, in fact, Bigger Pockets has the best hard money lender list there is. So I would go there and look for hard money lenders. And then you're going to ask them the questions like you want to understand the pricing. Obviously, you're going to understand where the money's coming from, how their draw process works, how easy is it to get money. I cannot even tell you how many times I we get deals because draws are being held up with other hard money lenders. And the reason for that is they're not moving the money into a separate account for you. They're just promising to release that money to you when you need it for your construction, but they don't even have the money available necessarily. Oh, so you might see delays in your draws, which can really kill a deal, especially when labor is the labor shortage problem that we're having. I mean, if your contractors walk off your job, I, I don't know how you get it back. So I would say, make sure you understand the draw process, the pricing and the terms of the deal. So it sounds like in those cases, when draws are being held up, you're able to somehow step into a deal and maybe pay out the original hard money lender, pay out the loan balance or whatever, mm-hmm. and then kind of restructure the note. How does that work? Yeah, exactly. And that can be really tricky because of mechanics liens. And I know we're getting into a technical thing here, but <laughs> when you start construction on a project and you try to refinance and put a new lead on that property, oftentimes you can't get a mechanics lien title coverage because the any mechanics lien will slide in front of the new lender. So there's no there's a priority issue. So it does get tougher if you've already into a deal, but we do everything we can to stay safe and help our clients out if they're in that position. So yeah, we get a, we get quite a few of those surprisingly. Interesting. Okay. So from the borrower side in preparing for that conversation, how much when when you or your employees or, or other hard money lenders when they speak with a potential borrower, how much are you vetting that person's you know, experience, seriousness in, in the business, if you will, understanding what's going on, their team, their whole structure. How much are you looking at them as opposed to any given deal that they're trying to do? Yeah. And that's changed over the years. When I started this business, it was really fog of mirror and you're approved, right? This is, <laughs> if you're literally breathing, you get the loan as long as the collateral is good. Well, it's not like that anymore. Hard money lenders really want to set up their clients for success, at least most of the ones that I know. So there's a there's some qualifying for the individual as well. I mentioned assets, like what's your liquidity reserve situation look like? Now we'll loan a hundred percent of the deal purchase and construction, but we want to make sure that there's there's liquidity behind you in case you run into trouble, which you will. Um, so we're, we're looking at liquidity. We document income just for our disclosures to our investors. We do pull credit. We could learn a lot about somebody from a credit report, but if you're bad credit for some reason, we could sometimes work around that. Sometimes it's co-borrower. Sometimes it's just a good explanation of what happened in the divorce or something. And um, so we could be real creative, unlike a lot of the other lenders. Um, but yeah, absolutely. We're looking at the deal. We want you to be profitable and we want you to be safe. Okay. So how do you look at things and consider financing things like uh, construction costs? How much do borrowers generally have to bring to the table? Oh, yeah. And I, I, I didn't mean to dodge your question about experience. Um, oh, sure. Yeah, so yeah, great. The construction costs to go there first, you know, we we... We want to see experience. That's actually where I was going with this, or someone on your team with experience. So if um, you're just watching HDTV and you got really excited, and now you're calling me and you're going to go 
test this new business with our money, that's probably not a great fit. But if you have a, a good solid realtor that's helped other you know, other clients do this before. You got a good contractor that's going to give you an honest bid and be upfront about material costs and timing and that kind of thing. Then, then that's what we want to work with. So sometimes we'll, if there's a newer, a newer investor, we might interview your mentor or your team members and and just try to help you stay safe. So as far as down payments, there really isn't a down payment. We have no loan to cost ratio. Our ratio is loan to value based on the ARV or after repaired value. So as long as we're at 70% of the ARV on residential stuff, 65% of the ARV or stabilized value on commercial, we'll fund the entire project. So it's how well do you negotiate? How good of a project can you get into? That's how much money you're going to need to bring to closing. Okay. Very cool. As far as from, from your end regarding the actual physical due diligence on the property, I mean, you having, you know, third-party opinions of value or inspections done, how are you you know, kind of protecting your downside as far as the physical asset you know, itself goes. Yeah, we inspect the properties. That's one of the reasons we we stay local. Um, okay. We load in Colorado and Minnesota and we're expanding, but we want people on the ground to do these inspections. So we are looking at that and going over your budget. Um, but if we're going to do a hundred percent loan, so we have two loans. We have an acquisition loan where you're putting some money down. We have our full hundred percent rehab loan. In that case, we get a full appraisal, interior, exterior appraisal done. So yeah, there will be an appraisal requirement on that high leverage loan. Okay. Okay. So timelines are huge in real estate, but especially when we're talking about flips, maybe a wholesaler has a property and it can be competitive, especially if it's a good deal. And you know, they might have a, a short time frame as well, just to keep the, the seller happy. So how do you achieve all of those things and keep it within a, you know, competitive time frame so you can make the the deals happen? Yeah. That's what is so awesome about hard money lenders. They don't have a box that you have to stay in so we can get creative. If you have to close in a couple of days, which would be really rare, we could do that without an appraisal. Maybe we require 10 or 15% down payment. We get you into the project, get the appraisal done after you close, and then we modify the loan to get you the construction money based on the appraisal. So that would be one way we do it. But you know, a lot of a lot of people don't necessarily need to borrow the rehab money. And in those cases, we won't get an appraisal at all. We'll just get a little down payment, fund the rest of it for you, and you can you fund your own construction. Um, no, no appraisal. Okay, cool. So I think the statistics are important, you know, in this conversation. So what percentage or, or how many of your borrowers or properties do you end up having to foreclose on, take the property back or otherwise, you know, rework thing. Ideally, it's going to be pretty low, probably mm-hmm. not zero. It's just right. not realistic. But um, what, what does that work out to? Uh, so it's just under 2%. It's about 1.9% it's pretty default low. rate. Um, yeah, it's really low, but, you know, I'm not ignorant to the fact that we've had a, a run on value. So it's hard to default on loans where you're <laughs> You know the joke. It was uh, Scott Trench at Bigger Pockets actually that made the joke to me. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was funny. He said, the, "The worse of an investor you are, the more money you make. Like the longer it took you to get in and out of your project, appreciation Dang. alone made you money. Well, that's not going to be the the case any anymore. So, I think investors need to be in and out of these these much quicker. Interesting. Okay. Great. Well, happy uh, happy to have the chance to dig into this with you today. Talk a little bit about what you see coming down the road. Right now, we're gonna take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and 
Get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Kevin, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show, but you've been on the show before and you've answered those questions. I got three new ones for you for our returning guests. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is your favorite book, whether it's a, a business book or a book you like reading for you know, personal enjoyment? Yeah. So over your right shoulder to me, it's probably your left, oh, your other one. Yep. Your left to you. Yep. That E-Myth. Uh, E-Myth, yeah. That's the, that's the best one. But, but you know, that's one that you might read after you've done a, a handful of projects and you're really looking to start scaling. That's really how to turn your investing into a business. And they actually have a real estate special edition for real estate. So uh, maybe I would recommend that one. Yeah, that's a great book. Um, I actually read it before I had started doing deals. So I didn't have the opportunity to really apply the lessons until just a couple of years ago. But um, you know, they've, they've worked out really well. Now for listeners out there who haven't read the E-Myth, how would you sum that book up uh, in, in uh, one quick lesson from it, I guess, if you will? Yeah, I mean the word is technician. If you're if you're working in your business as a technician, then you're not going to grow. You got to get out of the business work on top, you know, on the business. So it's getting the right systems and people in place. Absolutely, it helps tremendously, and uh, it's it can be tough to do at the beginning because it feels like it costs money when you're doing those things. But ultimately, you see them bearing fruit, and uh, yeah, very important. Okay, so we had your uh, favorite book, and now we're moving on to the second question. What is an indispensable tool, piece of software, piece of technology, system, or anything in your business that you just could not possibly live without? Yeah, software. I mean, hands down, it's your CRM. Um, you know, I'm surprised at how many people don't have one. <laughs> uh, but your your customer relations management uh, system, we use Entreport, which is one that you don't hear too often. But the reason we do that is it's so customizable. So we use it to, uh, to originate our loans and it's our it's our CRM. So for me, I, I couldn't live without the CRM. I think, isn't Entreport, it's, is that one of the more pricey ones? There are some that are a lot more expensive than the others. I mean, I, I use ActiveCampaign, which doesn't have all those functionalities, but- um, I would I think, recommend HubSpot. I mean, that's free and it has everything you need. So for real estate investors that are getting going, you need to follow up with your seller leads and, and your lenders or whoever you need to stay in touch with, HubSpot would, will work perfect. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Hub, Hub, HubSpot's a really good one too. Great. So last question, where is somewhere that you're excited to go in 2023, whether it's a conference or you're going on vacation or anything along those lines? You know, I used to go to Germany every year to visit Oktoberfest. I don't know if you've uh, ever been, but that's oh. got to be, that's like a bucket list probably, right? It's amazing. When you go all the way across the pond and you go in these tents you have to wait in line for, and you listen to American music while you drink warm beer and people freaking love it. Um, I haven't gone since COVID. Um, so we're going to a wedding this year when we would normally be going there. So I'm looking forward next year to going back to uh, Munich. That's awesome. I've been to Munich a little over, a little less than rather a decade ago, uh, but we were there in July, not during, uh, not in September during Oktoberfest, which is kind of odd, but, uh, yeah, no, Munich is great. And, uh, 
would love uh, would love to go to October over Oktoberfest. Maybe I'll put that on my list. Uh, for our listeners, that well, I want to thank you for for joining us today. For our listeners out there who you know, don't know where to track you down, but want to find you, want to get more information about what you do, want to get in touch or anything like that, where can they find you? So if you're if you really are interested in getting off of Wall Street onto Main Street and you want something more passive as you wait to see what's going to happen in the market, we did write a report on private money lending and how to do it and how to stay safe if you're out there doing it on your own. So if you have other people you want to lend money to, it's a great way to earn a higher return. We, we wrote the report and that's at uh, thepinereport.com. It's thepinereport.com. Otherwise, if you want to email me, kevin at pinefinancialgroup.com. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.